Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. Welcome back to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. This is Julie, and this is a bonus episode that I did with Natalie Graveline, a nurse practitioner who will be using my physical office space in Ontario, Canada. And Natalie is uh, setting up shop to have a small private practice. And so in our interview today, we talk a little bit about the dynamics of a nurse practitioner in private Uh, practice and what that looks like, some of the logistics behind that, some of the things that she misses not being part of a larger interdisciplinary team. I'm really excited to have her on board because she has that medical background and she also has some extensive experience working with addiction. And so I'm happy to introduce you, Natalie Graveline. She has over 20 years experience providing health care to clients with complex health and psychosocial problems, often complicated by addiction and or mental illness. In her former Ottawa-based practice, she provided episodic and primary care to individuals and groups struggling with substance use disorders, mental illness, HIV, and hepatitis C infections, and or living with various types of abuse and trauma. Many of Natalie's clients have spent years of their lives homeless or in unstable housing. She currently resides on a lake, fulfilling a lifelong dream, living by the water, and enjoying the many activities that nurture the body and feed the soul. And I'm happy to have Natalie working in my office and Uh, for those in the community to have access to her and so enjoy this interview and also before I forget I want to make sure that uh, anyone who's listening on parentingwhopodcast.com there's a link at the bottom uh, that connects you to iTunes and there's a ratings and reviews section if you can click the rating and write a review Uh, Click the rating. I think there's a series of stars from one to five uh, and write a review about the podcast. We'd really like to hear from you. Good, bad or otherwise. Uh, Always open to making the podcast better and more informative to you. And don't hesitate to contact me and let me know if there's a future episode theme or topic that you'd like to hear about and we can uh, set something up for that. All right. Enjoy this interview with Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. How are you today? Good. Um, So for those listening, I wanted to have Natalie on the podcast uh, for a variety of reasons. But one that I'm most excited about is that Natalie is going to be using my 
uh, clinical space in Elmont, and she's going to start seeing clients, patients. Uh, I call them clients. You probably call them patients. Don't uh, you? No, I call them clients too. Once in a while, I'll lapse. I, okay. I guess people who've been working a long time tend to forget the new nomenclature and we fall into the patient terminology sometimes, but okay, I, th- I think yeah. most people so, use the term client as well. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, so I really wanted this opportunity and you're also, you're a nurse practitioner and you work mostly with complex health and psychosocial problems specializing in addiction. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Addiction and mental health is sort of a a passion of mine, so I ended up specializing in that area. But uh, really, my my credentials and and my practice has been in primary care, uh, and right now I'm interested in taking on a bit more of the uh, addiction and mental health. Well, mostly health counseling side of things, just because it's it's easy to mm-hmm. do in the space that I have available. And I'm grateful for that. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, mm-hmm. And then down mm-hmm. the road, I'll, I'll see where it goes. Uh, I might yeah. do more of, of the primary health, you know, care scope of practice. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm curious if you could share a little bit around and about what a nurse practitioner is. So um, maybe explaining um, the, you know, the idea or... Um, the decision to go into nurse practitioner and also maybe some of the extra schooling that you had to do. And um, if you could help the listeners, because, and correct me if I'm wrong, I know for myself, the concept of a nurse practitioner is fairly new for me. I'm saying like probably in the last five, I don't know if as much as 10 years. Is that, is that right? Oh, nurse practitioners have been around a long time, actually. I think, I think some, Mm -hmm. Uh, nurse practitioners have been celebrating 40 years of having nurse practitioners in Ontario. So it's it's not that new. Um, mm. But it's true that a lot of people don't know what nurse practitioners are and what nurse practitioners do. So to be a nurse practitioner, you first have to be a registered nurse. So most people um, who become nurse practitioners uh, will have gone through training to become a nurse and then practice as a registered nurse, and then decided that at some point they wanted to learn to be able to do more advanced things. Uh, So then after having been a nurse, you go into a program, usually a university postgraduate level program, so a master's level or uh, a postgraduate diploma, and you take on extra training to be able to do more and Mm-hmm. And that comes from, in my case, it came from a, a place of feeling like I was practicing at the edge of my scope. And what I mean by that is I had knowledge, I had skills, and uh, I wasn't going to be able to do some of the things that I wanted to do unless I went ahead and took the training and got the proper credentials to, to keep uh, advancing. And uh, I'm really happy about doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the scope of practice um, f- for all of us, like myself as well, working within our scope of practice is really important because, uh, and what that means uh, for me as a clinician is if, for example, addictions is not an area or a niche area specialty, I have some um, training in addictions so I can 
you know, assess and maybe do a little bit of screening and then I would be referring on. And so the idea behind a scope of practice is we're trained for a certain job, a certain something. And once it exceeds that, we need to, to, in my case, refer on. And for you, I'm hearing you say that, you know, maybe your experience, the knowledge that you had acquired over many years of nursing, you felt like it was only ethical for you to go get that additional training and be able to challenge yourself more and be able to do right, more. Right. And, and it's also useful. It depends where you end up working. But in my case, um, the, at the time, there, there wasn't a nurse practitioner working in the clinic where I was. And I could see that um, it didn't really need to be a physician, but it needed to be a bit more. And, and I think, uh, mm-hmm. and then we saw that over the years that as a nurse practitioner, I could assess, I could um, order tests, and I could uh, pose a diagnosis, I could come up with a treatment plan, I could prescribe medication when it was appropriate. Uh, all of those things um, are in the scope of a nurse practitioner, uh, and, but not necessarily in the scope of a, a registered nurse. And before the nurse practitioner role was present from where I was, we would have had to involve the doctor. And, mm. and as a nurse practitioner, I still sometimes would involve the physician when it was something that I didn't know about or that was beyond my scope, but, uh, but less often than when I was working as an RN. But some of those things or all of those things actually are what makes a nurse practitioner um, that role, that scope is different than an RN. Correct. Right. Yeah. 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 And so um, you're working as a nurse practitioner and correct me if I'm wrong, but not all nurse practitioners work in addiction and mental health. No, no, that's well, it's um, how can I put it? Like if you think of a, a physician who's a generalist, right, mm-hmm. uh, that physician will have areas that they have a lot of experience in or that they see um, same things often and they get, they grow comfortable with that particular thing. So for example, uh, a physician who sees a lot of rashes and skin problems might feel completely at ease treating skin problems Mm -hmm. because they they see it often. They've come, come accustomed to recognizing which type of rash this is, and then they know which treatment to take on, and they'll go with that. Different physician doesn't see a lot of rashes uh, and isn't too sure about it, will more often choose to refer to a dermatologist. Mm. So it's, it's the same thing as a nurse practitioner. You practice and you learn more about the stuff the problems that you see more frequently and you maybe research those those issues more often mm-hmm. you come up you stay on top of uh the, the most you know up-to-date the most research up-to-date and, yeah. uh, research and and the clinical guidelines and then that area becomes um something that you don't have to look up so much or you don't have to ask for uh, as much uh, support. So in my case, uh, in my practice, I have seen a lot of people with concurrent disorders. So Mm -hmm. people with both a mental health and an addiction problem combined. 
And, and that's that's the term concurrent, right? Just for the listeners. Concurrent, yeah. Right. In 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 uh, Canada, we use concurrent. In the states, they use uh, dual disorder. Oh, okay. Uh, but in in Canada, we use the term concurrent disorder to mean addiction and a mental health problem um, happening at the same time. Okay. Uh, and just as a piece of information, we use dual disorder to mean uh, a problem with um, learning uh, disability and uh, a mental health problem. Ah, so learning disability and mental health is dual disorder in Canada. Yeah. Oh, so okay. it can lose confusion. But mm-hmm. anyway, to stay on topic, uh, for me, concurrent disorder is something that I studied more because I was interested, because I was seeing a lot of clients that had um, those kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm comfortable in that area. So I stay on top of things a little bit mm-hmm. more in that area of practice. Mm-hmm. But it's not to say that that's my only area of interest. Obviously, mm-hmm. I, I like um, anything to do <laughs> with health mm-hmm. and helping people stay healthy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when I started as a nurse, um, I did pediatrics. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't, I haven't worked with children for years now. So uh, I wouldn't be as comfortable working with children now than I was, you know, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. because I was staying on top of things mm-hmm. in pediatrics then and working in my last uh, employment, I didn't see children. Mm-hmm. So it, it depends. And and that's the case for every nurse, right? Like some nurses will, will see people of all ages and they'll have a practice uh, that's uh, sort of maybe in a family health team or uh, a community health center, and they'll see a particular sample of the populations with particular issues, and that'll be their comfort area. And they'll maybe have an interest in something, and they'll deepen their knowledge in that area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and and it varies on each team. Sometimes, if you work with a number of nurse practitioners, someone will really be on top of their game when it comes to wound care. Mm-hmm. Somebody will really be uh, more knowledgeable about HIV or hepatitis C, or it it depends what people um, mm-hmm. kind of deepen their knowledge in, mm-hmm. and and if you have the luxury of working with a team, then sometimes um, you'll draw on the, the, the knowledge mm-hmm. and the skills or you'll refer or you'll work as a group and, and people will consult each other or you'll do a case conference and say, you know, like, what do you think I should do about this? This is your niche. And, and then mm-hmm. somebody else will say, oh, uh, why don't you call so-and-so? Cause she's really good at that. Mm-hmm. Or he's really good at that. So, yeah. and, uh, We'll talk a little bit about the multidisciplinary team idea in a second. I have that in my notes to talk to you about um, because I do want to touch on that a little bit. Um, But I want to come back to um, the health counseling aspect of what it is that you're hoping to do. And I just realized I should tell listeners as well, um, you do services in French and English, correct? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to make... because. I think in the rural area in which we're located, um, there it's kind of a catch-22. I mean, I've born and raised here, but I only speak English. And so um, a lot of people who are seeking treatment 
in French, maybe have to travel into the city. And so wouldn't it be nice to be able to access a service like health counseling um, closer to home? And so I want to make sure people know that. Yes, it's nice. I, I think a lot of people who speak French um, where we live also speak English. Mm-hmm. What, but I find that when it comes to counseling and when it comes to talking about difficult things, it's so much easier to be able to do it in your your mother tongue mm-hmm. and and not have to figure out how you're going to word something or look for your words. Or mm-hmm. I, I think people really appreciate to be able to converse in, in their first language. I mean, just the sheer idea of dealing with someone that has a health issue, mental health issue, addiction issue, to have to take the energy to actually translate it into a language that isn't your mother tongue when you're already dealing with these complex issues. Yeah, I just can't imagine how difficult that would be. And um, it's not something that I've ever really thought about until you and I just spoke about it right now. That's a really good point. I think it's it can be done. I've experienced it mm-hmm. from from the patient point of view or client point of view. I I've gone to a psychologist and did my therapy work in English, and you can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once in a while, I find myself looking for words, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes the the French uh, comes up first, and I think to myself, "Oh, how would I say that in English?" Mm-hmm. But I'm also fairly fluent in mm-hmm. both, so I can uh, I can manage. And it's not the situation mm-hmm. that everyone has. No. Tell me about the name that you chose for the business. Well, I have to say, I've I've given it a lot of thought. It took me forever, and I was talking to friends and telling them what do you think I should call it. Mm-hmm. And I had interesting conversation with my massage therapist, <laughs> <laughs> trying to brainstorm. And um, and then when I thought of that, I thought, this is it. This is the, You this just knew it was one. the right one. I knew it was the one. And and you know why? Because of the expression, on an even keel. On an even keel, yeah. When, when you think about on an even keel, you can think about it in terms of physical health, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get back on an even keel. And you can think about it on the psychological side of things as well. You know, like if if you get yourself back on an even keel, you feel steady, you feel, you know, that you've regained your equilibrium. Mm-hmm. So it was working for physical health and it was working for mental health. And I'm a sailor at heart. I'm a mm-hmm. water person. I love sailing. Uh, I love windsurfing. I love wind. I love water. And that's the reason I moved out here is, mm-hmm. is to be by the water. Mm-hmm. And that's my element. So mm-hmm. it was appealing to so many parts. I, I could not resist it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then at first I looked just at even keel like, mm-hmm. to keep it even shorter. Mm-hmm. And there was a band of oh. that name. And oh. I thought, well, I, I can't tell you the name. <laughs> So then I thought, okay, even keel, what, you know, am I thinking a clinic? Mm-hmm. Am I thinking a, a team? Am I, what am I thinking? And then health was, was the, the term that was mm-hmm. most encompassing and that I could see bringing in uh, as a team, uh, joining me in partnership. I could think of other healthcare providers and the term health would work for them mm-hmm. as well. So that's kind of how I came it just works. Yeah. And there's excitement there, even when you talk about it. So you know what, that's the right name when you have excitement that backs it up. 
Oh, you know, those little things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you talk to all these people and you get all these ideas and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden something just clicks. It just clicks. Yeah, yeah. I, ha- I had a, quite a list before I, <laughs> I came to that one. Yeah. Um, and I found the quote on your website, or I don't even think it's really a quote. It just says health services to get you back on an even keel, which you, which you touched on. Yeah. Yeah. And it also works in French. Mm. Um, you know, to afflow means that you're, you're floating, you're, huh. it flows as well. So it, it doesn't have the exact same, it's not a literal translation, mm-hmm. but uh, the meaning remains. Mm-hmm. So I think that's good. Too. Yeah. So you mentioned um, if you have the luxury of working part of a team, and I, I love that because as a private practitioner, we do work so much in silos or isolation. Um, and so it is important to have a team, uh, have a number of different professionals in varying uh, professional capacities and experiences that I consult on a regular basis, whether it's trauma-related, play therapy-related, um, you know, eating disorder-related, adoption-related. Um, and so I've been able to build that up over years. But when you and I initially spoke about you using my, my space, one of the things that you shared was... Um, being open to the idea of having a multidisciplinary team of addiction and mental health professionals that were working under an umbrella or even one space that people could access. And, and I remember sharing with you that that was an idea that I'd had for a really long time. Um, and I'm excited that there's a number of individuals, a colleague of mine has just done that in Canada. I'm connecting with a, um, uh, wellness team that's in Was- Vancouver, Washington. They're going to do a podcast episode with me in the new year. Um, and so when you talk about like doing health counseling, um, working with those with complex health and psychosocial problems, addiction and mental health, um, talk to me about what your, what your dream is. Maybe someone who's listening can go, oh yeah, I'd like to be a part of that. And together we can start our dream. But, um, and I'm half joking when I say that, but uh, I'm curious about what your vision is, if you can share for, for those listening. Well, this, this new endeavor of mine is, is, is the first time that I am not going to be part of a team. So what I know is is working part of a team mm-hmm. is is being surrounded by individuals that have uh, different baggage, different knowledge, different skills, different experience, and I think that one of my skills is is to be able to draw the best out of people, mm-hmm. you know, to try to get to know people and know what they're really good at, what they're really excited about and to get them involved uh, in projects. So because of that, over the years, I've really grown to rely on being able to call on various people and learn and constantly learn from them and constantly benefit from uh, all of these little bits that are not mine, but that contributes to providing the best possible care to, mm-hmm. to my clients. And it doesn't mean that my, my client is going to be involved with a number of different people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it just means that once in a while I can consult someone else and say, I'm not sure about this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And what would you do or what, what would you add? And sometimes 
that's the extent of the consultation mm -hmm. is just presenting a, a situation or a problem and saying like what could I possibly add or what other mm -hmm. angle could I look at it from and then other times it, it means being able to have a one-off or a couple of sessions where my my client goes to see this other person and uh, learns a few things that I could not convey as well or that I didn't know enough about and then they come back and they continue to work with me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it means just referring them. You know, maybe we were at the end of the the, the progress that we can make, mm -hmm. the two of us. Mm -hmm. And then that person going to this other provider can uh, grow some more mm -hmm. and learn some more and advance and gain something that I could not provide. Mm -hmm. So there's different ways to involve other people. And I think it varies from case by case. You know, one person might benefit from consulting a dietitian. Mm -hmm. You know, one person might benefit from uh, some kind of body work type thing. Maybe it's it's physiotherapy. Maybe it's massage therapy. Maybe it's Reiki. Maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's so many different types of interventions that are possible mm -hmm. and and people, when they have an experience with it, they can they can decide and say, "Hey, this really helps me," and I I think that I would like to do more of that. And then other people say, "I've tried that; that doesn't mm -hmm. work." Uh, what else is there to try? Mm -hmm. And and I think my experience working with people who have complex healthcare problems mm -hmm. um, has made me maybe more attuned to the fact that not everything works the same for everyone mm -hmm. and and having that richness of having a whole bunch of other people contributing to the mix mm -hmm. uh, is a good one the other element to collaborating is is this uh, idea of continuing education mm -hmm. you know when you work by yourself you have to be very uh very good very self-driven and find ways to uh, continue and further your knowledge and advance and it can be lonely and it can be more difficult because your exposure uh, to what's available mm -hmm. is only you know driven by what you're doing mm -hmm. so when you when you work on a team and you're working in the same space I can't tell you how many hundreds of little hallway consults I've had with people <laughs> where you just, you're in the middle of something and mm -hmm. you think and you say, oh, I'm just going to ask so-and-so. And then you kind of pose a quick question and then it sends you uh, into a different direction mm -hmm. that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I think I like the idea of, you know, little groups motivating mm -hmm. each other and bringing ideas and then debating ideas. And sometimes I think I learn more out of being in disagreement <laughs> with someone <laughs> than, than all believing the same thing because it keeps you uh, humble mm -hmm. and it makes you evaluate maybe the direction you were taking mm -hmm. or, or maybe a, a belief that you hadn't challenged and... Mm -hmm permits you to put yourself in a different mm -hmm. perspective. And, and I think that's, that's important because one thing I learned is when I'm working with people and things are not going well, there's no point getting frustrated with the other person. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the only thing I can affect is how I'm doing it. I'm doing things. So if I find something is not clicking well, usually I'm asking myself, okay, what's, what's happening here? And how can I take a different approach to this? And how can I present things differently? And more often than not, I can uh, get back on track and be mm-hmm. able to continue to work with the person in, instead of coming at an impasse mm-hmm. and uh, you know, having a bad outcome where mm-hmm. the person is, you know, storming out of the office and <laughs> upset that I'm not able to. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's happened too, but <laughs> often if I can, uh, you know, think about, okay, how is this not working mm-hmm. and, and what can I do differently? And sometimes I come up with the answer by myself and mm-hmm. other times it's it's because I've talked about it with someone else and he said, well, maybe he's thinking this or maybe that's where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking, uh-huh, okay, I'll keep that in mind and next time I'll mm-hmm. try to approach it. So Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting too because you talked earlier about that um, the doctor who uh, sees a lot of rashes versus the doctor who doesn't see a lot of rashes and maybe would refer to a dermatologist. And now you're talking about like the, the consultations and sometimes it's happening in the hallway. And I mean, part of it is the reality of the busyness of healthcare overall, more so maybe in a hospital or a clinical setting. Um, Cause we don't have that busyness in private practice in that same way. But I, I guess the perspective, I feel like there's a context that you're offering in some of this information that it feels to me a bit behind the scenes in the sense that like individuals who are referred to doctors for tests and um, have this ongoing treatment, sometimes there's delays and it's important. I guess I just like the idea of people hearing that there is still work going on behind the scenes, even though you're not getting that phone call or they said they were going to call three days ago and they didn't. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking sort of generally, I'm not speaking about serious test results and that sort of thing. Cause I know doctors are really good at getting back to patients about that. I'm just talking about the behind the scenes stuff that goes on for a healthcare practitioner. Um, even myself in private practice, like, I do charge a nominal fee for my services and it's not just paying for the time that I sit with you in office. It's paying for me paying another professional, which I usually do pay uh, their fee to consult. Um, I try and bunch up a bunch and, you know, make it cost effective that way. But I'm also doing, like you've mentioned research a lot. I'm also doing research on things that maybe I know a little bit about, but not a lot. And the unique presentation of that client I need to know a little bit more and so that's all built into my price and um, so I guess like for me the multidisciplinary team um, and I don't think you necessarily said this but a big part of it too is being able to have people come to one place and space and be able to um, have the expertise of many individuals in various field um, professional capacities to at the end of the day help them get back on an even keel, like you say, and have a more productive, healthier life and be happier overall. And those of us that do this kind of work, that's what we want at the end of the day, isn't it? Yes. And I, I'm hearing in your voice, you you were teasing me earlier about how excited I was getting. Yeah. And, and I can hear it on your side yeah. too. That's, it, it is exciting to, to be able to, to do more and to, to do a better job and and it's true there's so much that goes on beyond the scene and 
often it's even just documentation, right? Mm-hmm. Like for me, I, I find it important to, to write good clinical notes mm-hmm. because if I, if I see a number of people and I don't see them for a little while, uh, I don't necessarily remember everything, mm-hmm. but when I'm with the person, I'm not frantically jotting down everything, right? I'll, I'll give them as much as possible my undivided attention and, and do the best that I can within the, the period of time I'm with them. And then after the fact, I'll be based on my, you know, scribbled notes, write a more extensive note. And then as I'm writing, I'm also thinking about all the things I've observed while I was with the person that I didn't necessarily write down that might be helpful. Mm -hmm. And then I'm often thinking, okay, I want to look this up and uh, see if I've figured everything out during the session or if I can do some more figuring out, getting closer to a a more accurate diagnosis. And then I'm often making a plan. Uh, And the plan is sometimes in part discussed during the session with the person. But then there might be stuff that I think about when I'm writing my notes and I'm thinking, okay, at the next session, I want to remember A, B, and C and ask the person this and that to be able to add the you know information that I might not have thought of asking. And then move on to uh, a more elaborate plan or step two of a plan. And so there's a lot of, uh, of work, as you pointed out, that happens after the fact. And I think that good clinicians, that good practitioners all do that, mm-hmm. you know, like you devote some time right there on the spot and then you devote some time after the fact. And, 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 and I think it pays off mm-hmm. because the research you're doing for one person uh, will also serve you for, another person who has something similar. So, you know, you're also always preparing yourself to be in a better place to help someone else, mm-hmm. you know, down the road. So it's totally worth it. But mm-hmm. when, but when you're not paid on salary, when you're paid mm-hmm. uh, for the, the a fee, mm-hmm. you know, when you're charging your clients, um, you have to think about that mm-hmm. because if you're only charging for the few minutes that you have together and, and you're going to be spending twice that much, mm-hmm. then then it's, it's going to be an impossible situation yeah. in terms of uh, how much time you're actually spending yeah. for the income that you're making. Yeah, um, yeah please. Thank you. So now that you've brought that up, I want to, for those who are listening again, um, because you are an independent nurse practitioner, um, maybe help the listeners understand how that fee structure works for you, for someone who may want to make an appointment with you. Okay, well, I, I think most people, there, there are a few, there are few nurse, nurse practitioners who are working um, as uh, independent practitioners. I think, I think what you are more likely to see is a nurse practitioner that's working on a family health team or as a part of a multidisciplinary team on a community in a community health center, or uh, maybe it's in a NP led clinic, but all of those um, situations, the nurse practitioner is paid a salary. The salary is either coming from the province or the salary is coming out of 
the other practitioners who are able to bill OEP and they're earning an, a certain amount of money and that money, some of it is being pulled to be able to pay the salary of the nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. As a nurse practitioner, um, we cannot bill OIP for our services. Mm-hmm. We do get an OIP number, but that number is for the purpose of being able to order lab tests or diagnostic tests or to use uh, as a, a means to be able to refer to specialists. So uh, anything else that we're doing isn't, isn't covered by OIP. Mm-hmm. So someone coming to me, uh, yes, um, they're going to need to pay a fee and I'm going to come up with, you know, some, some kind of uh, structures uh, to be able to assess, you know, how much does it cost to do a particular uh, kind of thing. Uh, you know, counseling might be something, uh, a full intake or uh, maybe renewing prescription or it depends, you know, I haven't thought it all out, Mm -hmm. honestly. Mm -hmm. I have to figure that out because I'm not sure everything that I'm going to take on right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm still figuring that part out, but definitely people will, will have to pay. Mm -hmm. And, and if there is a service that is available somewhere else and that I can recommend to the person, I I will do Mm -hmm. that. And then the person will have to decide, Mm -hmm. you know, do I, do I want to go to this other service or to this other nurse practitioner who has a salary somewhere else? Or do I want to make the decision that, yes, I'm going to pay for this service because I want to work with you? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm going to try to be as transparent as I can mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. uh, and, and gain as much knowledge as I can about the resources that are available mm-hmm. in our community so that I am good at referring people mm-hmm. who uh, might not be able to work with me. But uh, but if someone needs tests and I decide that we want to do some tests, um, I, I am able to do that. I am able to send someone and they're not going to have to pay out of pocket for their lab tests mm-hmm. or their diagnostic tests. They're going to be able to get those mm-hmm. the same way that they would uh, if they went to another uh, nurse practitioner at a family health team or community center or some other place where where that service is possible. And um, just for those who might be listening who are from outside of Ontario or even Canada, um, OHIP is um, Ontario Health Insurance Plan. So it's our provincial plan that allows us here in Canada to go to the doctors and not have to pay. Maybe you're still working this out and I'm sure it will play out as it will unfold as it will once um, you begin to fill up your practice, but um, is it possible then, because I book 50 minute sessions. Um, so is it possible that you could be seeing patients or clients that, um, like you said, uh, prescription renewal? So would it be just maybe a short term, like 20 minute appointment? Would you see people um, shorter or less than that 50 minutes? Um, well, I think at, initially I want to be able to start with seeing people on an episodic basis mm-hmm. and uh, and and specifically for health counseling or the services that I kind of listed on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's, in, in those kinds of situations, it's unlikely that I would be getting involved with prescribing medication uh, because most of the time the primary care provider of the person is who's prescribing 
And it's really who the person should go back back to to get their prescription renewed. Okay. So when I say, you know, kind of renewing a prescription or that kind of thing, that would be in a situation where I, with the patient or the client, you know, decided that it's appropriate for me to prescribe a particular medication and maybe they're running out and uh, we haven't plan things properly and they, they, they need a refill for whatever it is that we agreed on. But it's not a situation where someone is attached to a family doctor or a primary, uh, a different kind of primary care provider and nurse practitioner and that person's prescribing and they ran out and, and they want a, you know, a quick mm-hmm. refill. That's, that's not what I'm looking mm-hmm. for. And, and I wouldn't get into that yeah. because it would not be good practice mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, the person really needs to stay connected and for the one prescriber to be looking at mm-hmm. uh, what's going on with their prescriptions mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that you uh, clarified that the primary care provider, it's not, you're not providing a service that's just going to supplement something. There's a, there's a protocol and a procedure in which you will, see someone it's okay for people to inquire you encourage that but at the same time like you talked earlier about you know putting forward a treatment plan um there like there is that structure that you have to adhere to and you want to adhere to that well i i think i think that uh when i don't know like for now i i i won't be working enough hours Mm -hmm. to feel that i would be doing a good job uh, taking on someone as a primary care provider. I mean, part part of my motivation to focus my practice a bit right now on uh, on the counseling part of things, on the mental health part of things, is that it's something that I can do uh, in collaboration mm-hmm. in a kind of shared care model. So someone might be might already have a primary care provider, and they're not able to do as much on the mental health side of things with that person and they want someone else to help with that part and I always like to be working in collaboration with the main you know provider Mm -hmm. uh, if at all possible because then we can be on the same wavelength and we can um, collaborate to help the person better Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to want to be duplicating uh something that is already available to the person. So okay. I won't, won't want to be getting in the middle of the care. But if, say, a, a care provider uh, wants to refer someone to me mm-hmm. because they want some advice in an area that they're not at, as much at ease. Mm-hmm. You know, earlier we were talking about yeah. people, uh, this level of comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, some primary care providers um, – they haven't dealt a lot with severe depression mm-hmm. or bipolar disorder or, you know, all sorts of mental illnesses. And or maybe they've tried some stuff and it's not working mm-hmm. and, and they want someone else's advice. And maybe they're referring to me, that person and say, would you care to do, you know, an assessment and give us your advice? And maybe I would be making recommendations for the primary care provider to to take on with that patient. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, it's a few consultations only. It, it depends. Really, that's why I want people to give me a phone call and say, this is what I'm interested in. This is what's happening. You know, should we be working together mm-hmm. or is there something else that we 
that I should be considering. And then if we decide, uh, we'll also decide together, mm -hmm. is this a short-term thing, a few, a few sessions to, to get um, a different opinion, or is this a longer-term thing because there's uh, some work to be done that I can do that the other provider doesn't have the possibility to do. Like sometimes people in uh, sort of in a general practice, they have 20 minutes, you know, mm -hmm. for, or sometimes even less yes. to see their patients and they can't get into. That's lengthy, such a good point. Lengthy conversations uh, trying to take several hours to get to the source of what's going on or to do some cognitive behavioral therapy or teaching the person skills to, to cope better with what's going on or, mm -hmm. or even tease apart. Like sometimes people have five different issues going on and mm. they have symptoms and they're wondering, you know, are my symptoms due to my illness or are they due to the medications I'm taking or mm -hmm. like what, like sometimes the puzzle is so complex mm -hmm. and um, they they feel that they're stuck, you know, yeah. nothing is getting better and they've tried a whole bunch of things. I I can do that. Mm -hmm. I can spend a lot of time uh, asking a lot of questions mm -hmm. and assessing the situation in depth and then coming up with, okay, it might be this, it might be that. Let's try this and see how things go and then reassess and oh it's helping great let's mm -hmm. keep doing that mm -hmm. or it's not helping maybe it's something else because it's I mean one of my patients and I always remember her she was great she used to call me her her detective you know, like and and she's right you know mm -hmm. like it's it's a lot of detective mm -hmm. work when mm -hmm. you're working with complex health problems because it's not always obvious well, and I what think, is, you know, is causing the problem. Yeah. And it's like you said, I, I can ask lots of questions and we're trained to ask the, and I don't want to say the right questions, but like given the information, the feedback, the, the information in the file, et cetera, um, we know what questions to ask that um, can help with like throughout that detective process. If you just want to go with that, it um, sometimes I'm, <laughs> you know, I'll ask someone something and they'll say, oh, I never thought of that. And it reminds me, it grounds me into that. Oh yeah. Like this is second nature to me, but it's not second nature to everybody. And that's, that's one of the things that you're paying for when you're, when you're paying for our services is, you know, our training, our education, our experience, and how we can shape that into the best way to help you. And, and it's also experience. I, I think mm -hmm. that if you do something a long time, you will have seen many different things. Mm -hmm. And 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 sometimes you're, you've got one person in front of you and they're telling you something and it's making you think of a whole bunch of other situations that were similar. And I have, I've been known to go back to medical records of other patients of mine, because I remember dealing with a particular mm -hmm. issue with someone. And I thought to myself, what did I do with that person? <laughs> and I go back and I, and I think, oh, yeah, I did this, this and that, this. And I tried this medication and that was really helpful for them. And, and then the, the next person benefited from it. So I, I think experience also plays mm -hmm. a big role. You know, if, mm -hmm. if you have seen a lot of something, 
you have the the memory of mm -hmm. there's depth you know, there having having worked out these things yeah uh, th these things before so I yeah. think that's why it's important to send people um, to a number of different people because mm -hmm. sometimes one person has just had the good the good luck of having <laughs> encountered something that's that's similar and helpful mm -hmm. yeah and i think it just gives depth to the overall care uh so natalie one of the other things that i like about um or my goal for the podcast hashtag parenting who is just that looking at self like you touched a little bit on that earlier when you were talking about working on a multidisciplinary team and learning how to disagree and stuff like that but um, for those who are listening uh, Natalie's included a great bio here on her website she's broken it down into the past the present and the future and so you get a little insight into um, how she has found ways to uh, find that life balance in her life and so I'm always encouraging the adults caregivers of the children and youth that I work with to really be reflective and open to that as part of their parenting. And um, so I just wanted to let people know that you were um, sharing a little bit about that on your website. And so um, I really want to thank you for chatting with me today. I'm really excited to get this podcast out and to help grow your practice. And uh, so thanks very much, Natalie. That was my pleasure. Awesome. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you for joining me today. Please remember that information provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com.